I think the radical nature of freedom in Stoic philosophy is also underappreciated. People sort of, I guess, see it maybe a little bit, but I'm not sure that it's often enough appreciated how powerful and radical that idea is. Welcome to Stoic Conversations. My name is Caleb Ondeveros, and today I am happy to speak with Professor Rob Coulter. Rob is a senior lecturer at the Department of Philosophy and Religious Studies at the University of Wyoming. He's the founder and director of Wyoming Stoic Camp and the director of Wyoming Pathways from Prison. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, what's your, let's start with a broad question, but it's always, I think, a, a fun place to start. What's your elevator pitch for Stoicism? Right. right. Uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking about that when you suggested that as a topic, and I suppose it depends on how long the elevator ride is, right? <laughs> yeah. Are we in a big city elevator or are we in a Wyoming-style elevator? What I would start with is is basically this that stoicism is a um a philosophy of life uh that has a view about the way the world works and about the sort of creatures that we are and it talks about how to live well in a universe that works that way right and mm -hmm. if i'm going to be a bit more expensive right it's a it's a view that takes rationality and as sort of a fundamental feature of the structure of both the universe and of people like you and I, hopefully. Um, and, uh, and from that, it teaches us how to live, well, to have eudaimonia, which we often translate as happiness, which is um, a suspect translation in a variety of ways, but it teaches us how to, how to live well, how to live a good life in uh, a world that's fundamentally rational in, in the particular way the Stoics think. Um, mm -hmm. In that way, it's similar in sort of the broad umbrella way to a number of other philosophies of life in that many of them also have a view about the way the universe works and a view about the sort of creatures that we are and how we can sort of live in a way compatible with all of that. But the Stoics have some very sort of specific views about how that works out, as do others. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I think if you're thinking about, you know, what's a philosophy of life, it's an account of uh, what the good life is and how to achieve it. And right. to come up with that account, uh, as you say, you also need some picture of what is the, you know, the, 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 at least some level of de detail. What kind of world do we live in? What kind of creatures right. are we? I was just going to say that, you know, right, the certain sort of fundamental features of, of, one's worldview about the way the universe works is going to sort of tell you what sort of things are possible and what aren't in a, in a world that works that way. And, um, you know, if, if you have an incompatible way you're trying to live, uh, with the way the world works, you're in trouble. And that's one of the fundamental things that, that the Stoics emphasize is that our unhappiness is, is usually a function of a mismatch between what we're trying to do and what, the way the world works and the way uh, human beings work as well. So uh, it's about trying to find that fit in a really important way, I think. Got it. That's, that's well put. I'm cu curious, how, you know, how do you think about, so we have this idea, rationality is essential to the stoic picture, which uh, 
it seems absolutely correct. You know, how do you, how do you explain that? How does that show up in the universe? Mm. And then how does that make a difference to what kinds of creatures we are as well? Yeah, good. Um, so, so the Stoics are committed to a view that the universe is fundamentally rational. Now, there's some debate, I think, about how that's exactly cashed out among modern thinkers and pr practitioners of Stoicism, and also, I think, to some extent, uh, in antiquity as well. I mean, ancient Stoicism is a tradition of, you know, at least five centuries long, and there was a lot of room for thinking and developing and bouncing ideas around and stuff like that. But at a minimum, I think what the Stoic view is committed to is that the universe is structured in such a way that it can be understood, hmm. right? And it can be understood by creatures like us that are capable of reasoning. Now, the Stoics think that there's a causal connection between those things, right? We are rational because the universe is, right? So we're sort of built in a certain way to come to understand the universe as it is, if we do it well, right? Of course, we can, we can mess that up in a, right. any number of ways, right? But, you know, and some Stoics think that that rationality extends to some sort of plan, right? That's, just, that's established on the world. So, and some Stoics, both in antiquity and yeah, contemporarily as well. Some sort of maybe even divine plan. In antiquity, Epictetus, for example, is happy to talk about uh, the divine and God in in his works um, all the time. And uh, and some moderns are attracted to that view as well. But but I think there's controversy about how much of that we want to put on our understanding of the universe. Yeah. So I suppose if you think about reason or rationality is inherent in the world and that means uh it has a kind of order to it there are these maybe causal relations think of ideas laws of nature a term we would use today and because of the way our minds are structured we can also we can come to know that order in a variety of different ways so i think that's you know that's maybe one central aspect of the, the universe as it has this kind of order. And then as you were saying, there's this other aspect to reason, which is around a plan or providence. And that's where you, you know, think about uh, rational beings, they have goals and ends, and then they think about, you know, how do I best achieve my goals and ends given uh, the, what's available to me. And as you say, there are different ways of cashing out. What does providence look like? What is this idea of uh the that you know what's the telos behind behind things uh, that the both moderns and, and ancients take yeah that's quite right i mean at, at a very minimal level you know there are texts from antiquity that tell us that you know by fate right so that we use this word fate sometimes in this context we just simply mean the interrelatedness of of causation right the causal interactions and, and relations between everything in the world that's all we really mean by that there's mm -hmm. no there's no great planner out there or anything like that. And, and, but again, I think different Stoics, both in antiquity and contemporarily want to, uh, I guess what, want to make it thicker than that sometimes. And, and there's reasons in the texts from antiquity to, to do that as well, but at least it's at least that, <laughs> I think at least that interrelation of causes. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's worth worth pausing a little bit more here and saying like, so you have, for example, Epictetus and Epictetus sometimes says things to the effect of the world is organized for the best, which right. suggests there's you know, providence, some plan, things are set up, everything happens for a reason. That's true and it's a, it's a good reason or at least a reason that justifies those things happening. Whereas I think you can also see, read this idea of providence as at least what you said or maybe even a notion between the sort of best possible world um, and uh, one without and just think, well, it, the, word, the world is organized in such a way that we have enough to live well. And in that sense, there's this... Uh, t- telos be- behind things. Uh, yeah, that's, that's another way to I, take it. I think that's right. I think there's sort of a spectrum of how thick that notion of providence might be um, uh, among different thinkers on the topic. Um, but it's at least that causal thing. And as you point out, for other Stoics like Epictetus, famously, or or Marcus, even in some passages, um, it's it's a quite thick notion mm-hmm. of providence. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. I mean, maybe we'll come back it to is. it if, uh, sure. if if we have time. Sure. But I think, um, of course, one essential concern that people have when they learn about Stoicism is they're trying to make some difference to their life or maybe yeah. transform themselves or their world in some way. So, but it, one question I, I, I had is, you know, how do you? What's the central tenet in Stoicism that you've seen make the most difference in other people's lives? Yeah, that's a great question. I was thinking about that in the so I just at the end of the fall semester I was teaching a course on philosophy as a way of life to a class of incarcerated students. And um you know, in this context the students and the you know, the incarcerated students have um things by some accounts maybe have not gone the way they wanted it to, right? And right. Uh, one of the things we, you know, they're often, we often think of them as prisoners, right? And where they live is the lockup or something like that, right? This is the sort of language that's about, um, it's about restrictions of freedom, right? And um, one of the things that really jumped out at me this time, and and it's jumped out at me before, but it was really made vivid, is this idea from Stoicism that, in fact, what freedom really is, is my ability to make choices about my own activities. So my decisions are my decisions. Even in a context like being in, in a, you know, being in a maximum security prison, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Epictetus has that famous bit from the discourses where, you know, he's imagining a conversation between someone in power and a Stoic, and and um, they say, "Well, I can throw you in prison, chain you up," and the Stoic responds, "Well, you can chain my leg, but not my, you know, not my ability to choose, right? I could have you beheaded." Well, when did I tell you I had a neck that couldn't be cut, right? Um, right. You know, those things are, are things you can do to me, right? But within that, there's a freedom that is unassailable, that can't be restricted. And it's my choice, even in some circumstances, merely about the attitude I'm going to have towards a particular thing, right? So I've taught a bunch of different students in, in a prison context, and 
know, they talk to me about things like being in solitary confinement and things like that, where when equipped with some stoic ideas, they recognize that even in that extreme circumstance, there's still a freedom to be found, something that's fundamentally theirs that can't be taken away, that, um, that is also sort of the ground from which we can be good people, right? It's that freedom to be, to live well, even in circumstances that, that many of us would find unbearable, right? Um, and, you know, I think the idea that even in a world that is structured out of these causal interactions that has some sort of thick or thin providential structure, there's still freedom in yeah. that uh, is one of the things I think that's um, incredibly powerful. And, and I really see it with students, you know, who are incarcerated, but I see it in students, you know, just on a university campus or at my stoic camp and stuff like that. When we really recognize that, you know, it, it allows us to say, sure, I, the world can impinge on me in all sorts of ways. But I'm still fundamentally responsible for who I am and for the choices I make, right? That, and I'm free to make them, right? That sort of crux of ideas I've seen be really powerful for a lot of people in a lot of different circumstances. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's, that's really well put. And it is such a powerful idea, but it's, but it's also a radical one. I think we tend to think about freedom as maybe the absence of constraints or having a wide range of options, different life plans, decisions we could make and choose. So how do you explain what grounds that idea for the Stoics? Uh, well, gosh, I mean, so an image from the ancient Stoics that I think is really useful here is the image of the dog tied to the cart, right? So imagine you're a dog tied to a cart, right? You've been, you know, you're leashed and, you know, you're going to go wherever the cart goes, right? That's not really up to you, right? Well, what continues to be up to you, and here I'm, of course, using language from uh, Epictetus's Enchiridion, what, what's always up to you is whether you get dragged by that cart and you're miserable and, uh, or if you trot along happily next to it, right? So it's the idea that some as Epictetus puts it, some things are up to us and some things are not, right? The things that are up to us, the things that's really mine, the source of my freedom is my ability to choose how I go about dealing with the things that the universe brings to me, right? So all of us face hardships of some sort or other, right? You know, a loss of a friend or a family or, or a family member, losing a good job, uh, getting sick, all these sorts of things are things that we can't really do anything about, right? We can't change the world. But what we can do is have an attitude that's focused on us living well in the midst of whatever the universe gives us. Now, and that's, I mean, I think for most of us, that's oftentimes easier said than done, but it's one of those things we can work on, right? The sort of, sort of, practice-based stuff that, that you find in a number of these texts really focus on having me be better at dealing with whatever the universe brings to me. 
Yeah, I think so. It brings to mind the Stoic line, fate, the willing, it leaves. Uh, yeah. The unwilling is dragged behind. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, or something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, and also, of course, the central idea, especially as it's expressed by Epictetus, of uh, you know, what's up to you, what is your own, and whatever that is, that must be the source of your freedom. So for him, it's, and for, I think it's safe to say the Stoics in general, it's this ability to manage the events life throws your way to think through, you know, the situations, the questions life presents you with. And yeah, that's no, where that, you find find your freedom. That's right. And that's what, I mean, as you pointed out a few minutes ago, that's really a radical idea. So it's not only that, how did you put it? Um, it's well, so what I would emphasize is that that ability to really make these choices about, you know, what I go for, what I what I take to be true, all those sorts of things that Epictetus lists for us. That's not only where my freedom is; it's the only place my freedom is, right? And um, all the other sort of things we think of as freedom, especially maybe as you know as Americans or whatever. Um, are, I mean, that's that's a mistake, right? We're getting it wrong, right, for the Stoics. It's not just sort of a matter of, an, a matter of opinion. It's, it's just wrong to think that freedom means these other things because that's impossible, right? So, and, and that's, that's radical. Right. Yeah, quite. Yeah, I think for many people, you have this a political idea of freedom, of liberty, and that's connected to the vision of what, a good life is. And I think that Stoics can certainly offer interesting insight on the political debate, but for them, the political idea, liberty, uh, external constraint, you're always externally constrained in some ways. The source of right. you know what makes a life well lived cannot be cannot hinge on whether uh, you have this this kind of political liberty. Yeah, I mean, so the, so there's American political liberty in that sense, right? Um, but actually, there's a really interesting study of the notion of freedom in antiquity by Michael Freda. Um, and he actually makes use of a Greek notion of political liberty to frame the sort of freedom that, that the Stoics are talking about, right? So for, you know, in, in the ancient political context, right, what it suggests is what it was to be free was to be a free citizen of Athens or of whatever, right? meant that you could do anything appropriate for a citizen of Athens, right? As a citizen of Athens, right? So that could be participating in the assembly or serving on juries or these sorts of things, right? But the freedom you have as a free citizen of Athens is limited to the sort of thing you are in that context. Right? And so the way Freda puts it is that the sort of freedom that and here he's mostly focused on Epictetus, um, the sort of freedom that Epictetus has in mind is like that, right? We are completely unconstrained insofar as the things that are appropriate for a creature like us, right? Namely, a creature like us is one that is constrained by rationally living in a universe of the sort that we have, right? So any other freedom would be merely illusory, but we are, in fact, unconstrained 
insofar as we're the sort of creatures that we are, right? So, so putting these dots together, we get this notion of freedom is fundamentally connected to the stoic conception of the universe and the stoic conception of a rational agent in that universe. That, that, that is complete unconstrainedness with respect to the universe and our place in it, right? Um, so so I, I don't think the idea of political freedom is completely um, unhelpful, <laughs> uh, I right, guess right. I would say. There's an analogy there to be made, right? Uh, being a free citizen of Athens or a free citizen of the United States or whatever doesn't mean I'm free to, like, fly from the rooftops. It means insofar as is I'm a citizen of a particular political entity, I'm unconstrained with regard to what such citizens can do. And when we generalize it into a broader stoic conception, it's, it's, I, think that's a, I think that's actually a helpful analogy. At least I find it to be. Got it. Yeah, that's well, that's well put. I suppose the idea is you're not, nothing's holding you back from using your reason well. Nothing's right. constraining you from managing your, your impressions and the, and the Epictetus, right. Epictetus yeah. picture. Yeah. And you're, uh, you know, you're, the, you're responsible and the source of, uh, of your decisions. And I think that's probably also connected with other ancient ideas of liberty, being, you know, being the source of your, yeah. uh, of your life, uh, not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, so I think these, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, another topic, of course, I wanted to ask about was what have you learned from teaching Stoicism to others? You know, what have you learned about Stoicism from this process? You know, I've been teaching Stoicism for well, a long time, <laughs> right? I mean, my specialty is, is Greek and Roman philosophy, and, and one can't really teach that at a college or university without teaching some of the Hellenistic schools like Stoicism, right? But I taught it, you know, for over a decade before I came to see it as a viable actual way of life, right? For me, it, I mean, I used to sort of just kind of blow it off as like, ah, oh, this is just like ancient Dr. Phil, right? Here's some life advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds great. Whatever. Um, good luck with that. But so so my attitude towards it shift, shifted. At, at, I mean, I can remember the moment, to be honest, in a classroom teaching Epictetus, where I was like, hey, wait, you could actually sort of live this or make use of it. One of the things that's, that comes out in the variety of contexts in which I teach, talk about Stoicism at, at my camp, at the workshops I've done around the country and around the world, at, uh, in you know, incarcerated contexts and stuff, is that it's helped to be able to see it in a variety of practical contexts and the consequences of those contexts, right? So, so being able to talk about it, not just as an academic subject, but as something that's lived or livable, I think really brings people together uh, on this, right? So I tell people at my camp, right, you know, my job is not to convert you. Well, I mean, this is not and I, I tell this to my students in prison, my job is not to convert you, but I do want you to kind of try it on, right? Try it on like a, 
you know, you're at the secondhand store looking for a new winter coat. Let's see how it fits. Does, can I, you know, can I maneuver in it? And uh, so I asked people to sort of really try to think about how we might live in this way. And that, I think, uh, really brings out maybe the pinchy bits for particular people who, who bring in different backgrounds and different sort of background assumptions, different experiences, right? Can really show us where those pinchy bits are for, and they can vary from different people. You know, some people really react to the, to the God and divine language that we see in some of these texts. Some people really react to, um, you know, some of the freedom and determinism stuff. Some of them really react to some of the practical advice that we see in, you know, one interesting discussion I had recently was with some students in prison about Marcus Aurelius's recommendation in book two, chapter one of, of the meditations where he says, well, I remember when you wake up in the morning and meet all kind of nasty people, you know, one of the most famous passages. But at the end they said, but remember that, you know, they're just like you and that it's our job to work with them anyway. And, um, right. you know, some people react to that and they say, why would I want to work with that guy who did this thing or did this thing to me or, or hurt me? Why would I want to cooperate with someone who hurt me? And, you know, so we can talk about that then. Right. But, you know, the Stoics have a view about that and maybe you don't want to want to accept that and that's fine, but we should talk about it. So I think. Like the idea that by teaching or talking about Stoicism, this is not a conversion thing. I'm not proselytizing. I don't go knocking on people's doors, <laughs> right? But rather that we can maybe try it on and share a little bit of a journey with it mm-hmm. um, is a really, I think, effective way to approach it. Yeah, that, that's, I think that's great, especially the because uh, it forces you to one, there's, of course, that encouragement to try the philosophy to think about how you would apply it. But in, in that process, you need to get more concrete. You know, what does it look like to manage my emotions in a stoic way? Or what does, you know, this idea of kinship that the stoics have with other fellow uh, human beings, how does that make a difference in my life? What does that mean for my roles, the circumstances I find myself in? And getting concrete like that, I think, is is always always useful for for people absolutely that's i mean that's certainly been my experience mm-hmm. yeah for, for you how, how has stoicism of course you've teached it uh spent spent years studying it yeah uh, but as a philosophy of life how how would you uh capture to the extent stoicism has made a difference uh, oh it's made a life? huge difference in my life right and and you know a lot of times, especially in like online forums and stuff, you, you see people saying, well, well, are you a Stoic? Are you a Stoic? Um, is that Stoic, right? Would be doing this be Stoic? And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm often pretty dubious of that sort of discussion, right? I mean, I mean, I think for me, most of the time, Stoicism provides a pretty great 
I think if I had to label myself, I'd actually call myself a Socratic, which interestingly is actually something that a lot of the Stoics would have been happy with too, right? Mm -hmm. And in particular, right, one of the things I think is really important is trying, and, you know, again, like most of us, I'm far from perfect at this, but, but trying to sort of know what I don't know, or, <laughs> right? You know, I, I've studied this stuff a long time and I've taught it for a long time. Right. But I don't know. There's some things, there's some things I'm not sure about. Right. I mean, so we were talking earlier about how thick this notion of providence might be in stoicism. And to be honest, I kind of waffle about that. I, you know, I, I think about it for a while in one way. I read somebody's article. It makes me think about it in a slightly different way. And, you know, so I've, I've sort of gone probably up and down that spectrum we were mentioning multiple times over the years. And, but one of the things I like to keep, keep sort of at the forefront of my thinking about stoicism, about philosophy of life, about all these sorts of things, is this line from the, the dialogue uh, that Plato wrote called the Crito or the Credo, um, where Socrates is in prison and he says, he says to his friend Crito, who's um, trying to get him to leave prison, he says, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, right? Look, I've, I've always been, and I still am the kind of guy who, who wants to go with the argument that seems best upon reflection. Mm -hmm. If you've got something new, let's do that. Otherwise, let's just go with that that we've, <laughs> we've worked out, right? So, so this idea that I take from that is, yeah, I've got some opinions about some stuff. I've got some things that, you know, some that are sort of more fixed than others. But it's all revisable, right? It's all sort of revisable, and it's not dogmatic, right? So if I'm a Stoic, I think I'm a Stoic who suspends judgment a lot. <laughs> right, because you know, I don't know. It works pretty well, right? When I think about what's up to me and what's not, and you know, I run into situations that cause me difficulty, and I remember basic stuff like, you know, it's not really, you know, uh, it's not really what happens that matters. It's how I react to it, how I deal with it. Um, it's not really, um, you know, the outcomes that matter. It's about my character. And when I remember that some things are up to me and some things are, aren't, and I focus on the things that are up to me, I find I do a lot better in life and my life goes a lot better. And something mm -hmm. like, I don't know, uh, there seems to be a much more of a smooth flow of life as uh, we might read. Um, so, yeah, I'm probably mostly stoic. But there's a strong Socratic right, stretch right. in there. In your day-to-day -day life, how does that, how do some of these Stoic ideas play out? Oh, gosh, all, all the time. I mean, you know, I try to, not always, but I try to do a little journaling to try, sort of keep a sort of uh, conscious and self-reflective approach to my life. You know, but as I've advanced in my career, as many academics do, I'm getting more and more sort of administrative duties. I'm currently department head of our department. And, you know, when I'm filling out evaluations and, and all the paperwork that administrators have to do, I, keep, I have to keep remembering, you know, that, you know, this is the role I am in and, you know, what matters 
is that I do this as well as I can, whatever's in front of me, right? This is an ideal we can find all over the place in Marcus who has to remind himself that as emperor, right, right. you know, there's stuff I got to do. And also in difficult situations, right? You know, some of the things I mentioned, right? And some of the things that are scattered all about the Stoic texts, right? The idea of like, is this thing really up to me or not, right? You know, one of the ones that that really affects me in a way, I think, super positive. There's that passage in Epictetus and Caridian about, you know, well, I'm fond of a jug, right? You know, and that way if it breaks, I won't be upset because I know what kind of thing it is. And then he immediately goes to, you know, if your child or daughter, if you kiss your child or, or your wife, um, you know, remember that you're kissing a human being that way when they die, you won't be so upset. And a lot of people find that completely monstrous, really, right? Right. But, but you know, for me, what that does is it reminds me um, that human beings are finite creatures, right? We're all going to die in one, you know, or our relationships with others are also finite, uh, whether they're family or not. And, and for me, that helps me really put, um, really highlights the fact that those relationships are something to cherish. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, so all those things are stoic ideas that really enrich my life on a daily basis. Right. Right. Yeah. I sp the, just thinking about that last one that I, uh, that reminder, both that we are mortal and that the ones we love are mortal as well. Can I think really provide a sense of both urgency, you know, use the time you have well, and also gratitude folk and focus on, uh, you know, that the time you have uh, with others. And I think that's always a good reminder. But oh, one of the things I want to say is the ideas about roles too, I think is especially, especially helpful and something we're trying to push more, you know, help uh, other Stoics know more and more about is this idea of role yeah. ethics, just because I, especially in, in my life, I found it so useful to think about, you know, what relationship am I in right now? What does it look like to be excellent uh, in this relationship and have that That's be right. a guide to, you know, those decisions that, you know, jumping back to that earlier theme of freedom, you know, decisions that the truly free being would make in, in this uh, in this position. So thinking about role ethics, having this idea of what it is to be excellent in the relationships we find ourselves in is, has been especially useful to me as well. Yeah, I find that super helpful, right? You know, as a father, what what is it to be a good father and how can I be that? Father, husband, son, teacher, member of my community, citizen of the universe, right? These are all roles that we might find ourselves in. And as Epictetus in particular, but many of the other Stoics also sort of at least point at, um, these can be really good guides for us, right? To figure out what should we do in these situations? Well, what a good father should do or what a good teacher should do. And mm -hmm. if you get lost appealing to those roles, recognizing those roles can really be helpful. Right, sure. right. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. What, as, what aspect of Stoic philosophy, Stoic theory, with all this in mind, do you think is perhaps most underrated by uh, people who are a little bit familiar about the philosophy, but may still underrate this yeah. idea? Yeah, underrated is tricky, you know, by whom? So I think I want to say two things. 
if that's allowed. <laughs> uh, one is that I think it's maybe not appreciated as much by a lot of people. It wasn't by me for a long time. How systematic and unified the Stoic picture really is, right? I mean, I think some of these Stoic philosophers are among the greatest philosophers in history. Um, I think one could make a pretty strong case that Precipice would be on the Mount Rushmore of Greek philosophy, if, especially if we had if we had right, more right. of him. Um, we had one of those 700 books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Even one. So the systematicity, right, of, you know, like, like we've, we've hinted at, right, the conception of the universe, the conception of, of what a human being is, and the conception of freedom and stuff are intimately related. But we could push that even farther, right? It's true of, like, their conception of how language works, of how logic works, um, details about how their physical theory works, um, you know, the notorious theory of total mixture that gets, you know, just maligned in antiquity and today. Um, you know, th these all fit together. Whether they're right or not, different question, but they fit together in a really important way, in a way that, that it's very hard to sort of excise out pieces of this systematic picture, right? Um, there, there's a great story I heard and I, I heard it like third hand and I believe it was originally attributed to the really important scholar of Stoicism Susanna Bobsey who said like any system you know having a systematic philosophy is very much like laying new carpet in a room it's like no matter how careful you are there's going to be some corner that's a little wrinkled right <laughs> And different systematic philosophies are going to have different wrinkly corners, right? And you kind of have to just pick which one you want to put the sofa on, right? And, and I think that's true of Stoicism. I think that's true of Platonism. I think that's true of Aristotle's picture and so on. Um, so I think it's underrated or underappreciated how systematic Stoic philosophy. But another one I'd want to go back to is I, I even though we, we've talked about it a fair bit, I think the radical nature of freedom in Stoic philosophy is also sort of underappreciated. People sort of, I guess, see it maybe a little bit, but but I'm not sure that it's often enough appreciated how powerful and radical that idea is, which is, I guess, part of the reason I wanted to harp on it a little bit. But uh, those are the two I would come up with. Right, yeah. I think thinking about systematicity, it's certainly true that more and more you learn about Stoicism, you start to see, oh, this is, these are the connections between, of course, you know, the ethics, logic, and physics. And um, you can think about, oh, you know, how do those uh, ideas play uh, a role in human development to begin with? And then, then you have these different uh, Stoic theories of uh, how we grow, how we get to make different decisions. Um, well, I was just going to say, it's like there's a sitting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're saying we're ignoring the value of a lack of systematicity, perhaps. <laughs> and yeah, just thinking about the development, thinking about uh, Stoic stories, thinking about things at different scales, the universe, mm -hmm. the city, the individual, 
the mind and, uh, and you know, having that perspective, I think, you know, where does, how does order show up in the universe and the human being? How does it show for me as an individual? Uh, can really enhance how one applies stoicism in addition to being of just intellectual interest. Itself. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, I think it's, I think it is more than just an intellectual interest or fetish even that one might have systematicity. I think it's, I think it's deeply effective in how one lives. Right. If if one's going to live in a in one of these really systematic ways, then what you think about truth really affects how how you live in a variety of ways. Right. What you take to be true deeply affects your beliefs. And this is a point that's not just in the Stoics, because that's Socrates. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Your beliefs about everything are are connected in ways that can affect how you, how well you live, right? This is, yeah, this is a feature, not a bug, as they say. Right, right. Yeah, I think this is one way in which the, the Stoics are Socratic. They're always thinking about, you know, where are contradictions showing up in our, you know, that our common intuitions? How do we make sense of what's going on as a whole? And uh, even some of, I think, some of their most radical philosophical ideas like you can live well no matter the external circumstances are grounded in ordinary observation and <laughs> thinking through uh, do the, which of these observations hold up. How can we pull them together in a, a story Absolutely. that that uh, that makes sense? Totally agreed with you. Excellent. <laughs> well, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? I think that it's great. I've enjoyed this conversation quite a bit. So. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, this has been great. I'm glad we got a chance to meet and it would be fun to spend some more time, I think, diving into these ideas about providence we touched on if we got a chance or perhaps even yeah. you know, different stoic ideas of individual freedom, what that might look like at the political level, communal level, and so on may also be uh, additional topics to uh, to explore. Yeah, that, that could be a lot of fun. Well, is, is there any links or resources you want to share with people before before we hop off? Well, um, I will be making an announcement on social media and various other platforms uh, very soon about what will be the 10th iteration of Wyoming Stoic Camp uh, coming up in May this year. Uh, Wyoming Stoic Camp is an opportunity for us to go up into the high Rocky Mountains and read Stoic philosophy in the woods and go on hikes and have bonfires and try to avoid things like moose and bear. Um, so, yeah, this will be the 10th year that we've done it. Um, and, uh, you know, people have come from all over North America, but also from Europe. And it's, it's, a, it's a good time. Uh, well, it's an indifferent time. We can be good and participate. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, do check that out. And then uh, it's been a pleasure, uh, pleasure chatting with you, Rob. Yeah, great chatting with you too, Caleb. Thanks for listening to Stoic Conversations. Please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend. If you want to dive deeper still, search Stoa in the App Store or Play Store for a complete app with routines, meditations, and lessons designed to help people become more stoic. And I'd also like to thank Michael Levy for graciously letting us use his music. 
You can find more of his work at ancientliar.com. And finally, please get in touch with us. Send a message to stoa at stoameditation.com if you ever have any feedback, questions, or recommendations. Until next time.